This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the last edition of the Show Before the Show podcast in a week without baseball on the minor league landscape here in 2022 as we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show, the official podcast of minor league baseball. We are four days away from minor league opening day. My name is Tywin Mon, joined from New York City by Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra. Uh, guys, last weekend of, uh, of non-MILB season freedom, you got any huge plans? Um, well, actually, I do have plans here in New York City. Um, my mom, who has not visited for quite a long time, she's from the uh, well where I grew up. She still lives in you know the Philly suburbs. Uh, she's coming to visit, cool. and uh, tomorrow night we are going to see American Utopia, the David Byrne show on Broadway, and she's very excited about that. Very and it cool. actually closes on Sunday, so it is excellent, Ben. You will love it. I've seen it; it's amazing. You'll be singing Talking Head songs for the rest of the month. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Every it's anyone I've mentioned to it to who knows anything about it is like, oh, that's awesome. Either like I want to go or it, it is awesome. So I'm looking forward to it. My mom's very excited about it, and I'm a very good son. Who's gonna argue with that? Nobody. Sam, any plans? You got anything fun? Well, I'm currently in Arizona, so my first that's thing true. is getting home from Arizona. I'm wrapping up my Arizona swing. I was at D-backs camp yesterday. That was a lot of fun. So. Look to MLB.com slash pipeline for all my stuff on that. But um, otherwise, yeah, no, it's it's pretty much the pushed opening day. For me, we've got a lot of stuff planned. Um, opening day guide Ben and I will be working on. So that's I love doing that every year. Um, this will feel sort of like a normal year, except for the bifurcation of the opening days. But we'll get into that in a little bit. We will. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's that's about it. Just counting down the days until Tuesday and Friday. Tuesday and Friday, and that is where we kick off this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, Tuesday is minor league opening day at the AAA level. Uh, the AAA uh, East and West, of course, no more. The International League and the Pacific Coast League are back, and they will kick off play coming up on Tuesday. Friday is everybody else. Uh, so we have that, as Sam very eloquently put it, bifurcated opening day. Um, very impressed, Sam. Uh, d- give us your uh, the thing you're most excited about, at least for the AAA start to the season coming up on Tuesday, Sam. I know we're already starting to get some assignments uh, for players who will be there, but what, what excites you about AAA opening day? I think, well, it's funny where we're opening opening day this year because it's Iowa at Buffalo, which is interesting for a number of reasons. I don't think those two teams played each other. Last year, because AAA was so sectionalized and, and, you know, Iowa was a new addition to what we are once again calling International League. Um, so that's kind of an inter- interesting matchup. And it's also Iowa at Buffalo, which means we're returning to Salem Field. Um, Salem Fields have a, had a kind of crazy last couple of years between hosting the Blue Jays and then hosting their alternate site. And 
um, you know, having to work in some games again there last year. It's a much improved stadium, obviously, because they had to quality. Uh, so the fact that the first game of the minor league calendar this year is between Iowa and Buffalo and is happening at Salem Field, which we've talked about plenty on this podcast in the past um, because of all those changes. It's, it's really exciting. It's, it's fun to see it happen there um, in terms of players like Brendan Davis has been sent down to AAA Iowa so that there's a big name that we'll get to see. I'm sure he'll be hitting high in the Iowa lineup, so we'll probably get to see him in that very first inning. Um, we're we're going to hit the ground running here come Tuesday. That's 105 Eastern. So for you on the West Coast, you, you'll be able to tune in you know, bright and early at 10, and then next game's at 4. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a heck of a matchup to start out with. And, by the way, 56 and partly cloudy in Buffalo has uh, the – anticipated weather for Tuesday afternoon, which is good because a series that opens the season in Buffalo on April 5th could probably be a little dicey. Um, ben, when you talk to uh, people around minor league baseball about kicking off this first week, we you know have discussed so many times that 2021 kind of felt like a dress rehearsal for 2022 coming back after having no season in 2020. What is the, the excitement or the anticipation like uh, for people who are getting ready to do this now for real again, there are no crowd restrictions. We don't have, you know, space limitations, people sitting in pods, socially distance, all of that stuff. We're, we're back to, you know, normal or something very closely resembling normal this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a point we've hit on a couple times in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I mean, it bears repeating. This is the first opening day uh, in three years. And, you know, what's 365 times three? Uh, a lot. A lot. It's what, <laughs> almost 1100 days, I believe something like that, um, that we just started a season in a you know, normal way. Um, so I think everyone's excited for that fans and, and certainly in the front office um, saying like, okay, I think the industry is still looking at 2022 is not necessarily a year to, you know, say like, this is where things really start to, to, you know, be a hundred percent. Just still, you know, the, the, the loss of the entire 2020 season, and last year being a rough one. I mean, there's just a lot of residual effects with that, with, you know, obviously with revenue and staffing and then the reorganization and, you know, looking at what they need to do going forward, you know, ballpark wise, ballpark improvement wise. I think, I think we still are somewhat in a period of transition, but at the same time, this is a clear indicator of just how much you know, things are moving in the right direction and to just, you know, start the season normal is huge, but kind of like what Sam was saying, like about, you know, Iowa at Buffalo, the, I don't, even people who, you know, listen to this podcast every week who really pay attention to this world, it is so hard to keep everything straight. I mean, as Sam said, you know, the Blue Jays were playing in Buffalo last year, last year at this time or around this time, we were talking about how the Buffalo Bisons are going to play in Trenton as the Buffalo Bisons, no, as the Trenton Thunder, even though they were the Buffalo Bisons, right? And the Thunder who are now in the, in the draft league, we're going to play in some collegiate field later on in the season. And it was just so much to keep track of. And now this year, it's like, okay, we have Iowa Buffalo. Well, Iowa's never played an international league game ever. You know, that that's that franchise started off in the American Association and now defunct AAA League, then went to the PCL last year. You know, is what it was what is now the International League, but just the AAA East. And then they're playing against a team Buffalo. There was a team named the Buffalo Bisons in 1886 in the inter- International League. So um <laughs> it's just so much to, uh, to get straight. And, and, uh, even me who spends every day in this world and you guys, I'm sure there's a lot of times we're just like, wait, what, you know, you kind of have to do that like double take with a lot of things. And, uh, for so many years, it was just kind of ingrained what was what. 
and uh, there being affiliation changes and rebrandings, and you really did have to stay on top of it, but nothing like we've seen the last couple of years. So, um, but I don't think we'll see many changes now going forward. So I think what we're going with right now uh, is the way things will be for quite some time. So we all have some time to get used to it. Don't panic. Don't have any anxiety. Just embrace it in a period of, uh, you know, relative normal. Yeah, just to go through some other matchups that kind of make me do a double take just because of all um, in these, you know, new look PCL, IL uh, setups, um, looking at St. Paul, Louisville, <laughs> that, that, that just feels odd to me still. Uh, Worcester against Jacksonville. I know those two teams didn't play each other last year, even when Jacksonville joined AAA East. Um, Worcester's traveling down to Jacksonville, so that's a, a pretty decent trip for them. Uh, looking at, you know, some of these other ones, Gwinnett, Memphis, uh, Sugarland, Sacramento. And then, you know, you have your very traditional matchup to end the evening, which is Reno, Las Vegas. So as much as some things change, uh, other things very much stay the same. And uh, with the AAA season at hand, we have some uh, new details to share with you for MILB.TV, Minor League Baseball's uh, got all the best and brightest on Milb TV all season long. We've got some new stuff for 2022. Three new teams have been added to the MILB TV slate, uh, the Visalia Rawhide, the Vancouver Canadians, and the St. Lucie Mets. Um, 101 teams now are available to watch on MILB.TV. Uh, 6,500 games from every classification from uh, Class A all the way through AAA are available, including all available playoff games. Uh, you can find those games uh, online via your uh, your browser or through the First Pitch app. 95% of games are available in HD and full archives are available on demand. Uh, we From week to week throughout the season, we give you our picks um, for what to watch on Milb TV for the coming week, uh, which obviously we will start doing uh, next week. But this is a big expansion. And for so long, we've been, you know, talking about um, when we were going to be getting to a point where games were put in HD and when we'd have, you know, the vast majority of for a while, it was just AAA. And then it was AA and AAA teams were available on Mill TV. And then Class A advanced teams, which is now high A, joined in. We got 95% of games available in HD. And we've got 101 of 120 teams now available on Mill TV. Uh, this is a huge expansion. And this is a, a really exciting next step for MILB.TV as we, uh, get further and further along into the new structure of minor league baseball. Yeah. Two things I want to hit on this real quick, just in terms of new teams. One is the St. Lucie Mets because that adds a second Florida state league team um, to the MILB.TV option. So a lot of you, you'll, your favorite, you know, first round picks from last year might be starting out this year at single A. Uh, and if they previously went to the Florida state league, it might be kind of difficult to watch those guys. There was only one stream from there before. Now there are two. So that's, that's pretty big. Um, also, the Vancouver Canadians getting added to this list means MILB.TV has gone international, uh, which is kind of cool. It, you know, it, it might not seem like much, but it's still neat to see it go north of the border like that. And also, just because of the way the Vancouver Canadians basically played the entire season last year on the road um, because of COVID restrictions and, and teams not being able to travel to Canada as easily, they played road games last year, they will be playing actual home games this year, and those will, will be broadcasts. So if you are a Vancouver Canadians fan, if you are a Blue Jays fan, um, hoping to catch you know your favorite prospects in the, the actual country of Canada, uh, you'll be able to watch those here on Mill TV this year. So those are two big additions on top of the Visalia Rawhide. So we get another calorie option, which is big as well. Ready to roll for 2022 at MILB.TV. And we are also ready to roll for the 2022 edition of the Copa de la Diversión 
which has returned for uh, another year with the largest team total for uh, a Copa participating field in uh, in 2022. We added eight teams uh, to last year's total. So we are now at 85 teams, I believe, that will take part in 2022. Uh, we've got so many classic uh, and beautiful returning identities. The eight new teams that we add uh, in 2022 are from, uh, well, eight new plus a few that have redesigned their logo. So I'm going to run through all of the, the new ones. Corpus Christi has switched from the Raspas, uh, the, the flavored ice uh, dessert treat to the Cumbias, which is a, a dance with a gorgeous new logo. Uh, Fort Wayne, the tin caps are now the Manzanas Luchadores, the uh, the wrestling fighting apples. Fort Wayne, obviously Johnny Appleseed. That's the reason behind the tin caps logo with the apple wearing the helmet, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Frisco is the Los Quesos. Uh, Pepinillos Picantes del Norte is the Great Lakes Loons new Copa de la Diversión identity. Uh, the Quad Cities River Bandits are the River Bandits uh, now in Spanish. Bandidos del Rio, they Ciudades Quadrupoles, Quadruples, I can't, I can't pronounce it. Uh, the Somerset Patriots are the Zoros, the Foxes. Uh, St. Paul Saints are the Santos. St. Paul's actually got an interesting backstory. They started uh, a Latin outreach initiative, uh, Hispanic and, and Latinx uh, initiative outreach program as part of uh, their independent roots back in 2010 with uh, uh, Viva Los Santos um, identity. And they are now leaning, you know, sort of back into that with the Santos uh, of San Pablo, the St. Saint Paul Saints. Uh, the Congueros are the uh, the new Syracuse uh, identity. Um, the Tumba Vacas of Wichita, the Cow Tippers, that is Wichita's new look. Uh, and Winston-Salem has uh, redesigned its identity. They will now be the Winston-Salem Salsa for 2022. Uh, guys, we're going to go through and pick a favorite, but we are going to put uh, some qualifications on this favorite, which is that uh, we have to pick something new, otherwise known as I can't just continue to go on and on about Hillsborough and Eugene and Tri-City. Um, so we got to pick something new. Ben, let's kick it off with you. Your favorite 2022 Copa identity. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, Wichita. Um, well, you mentioned them all, but uh, I would go with Wichita, the Tumba, Vaca, Tumba Vacas de Wichita. My, I need to learn Spanish every time I Same. try anything in Spanish. I embarrass myself. And I couldn't, I couldn't say quadruples. I said quadrupales. That's somebody <laughs> listening is like, what an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel that every time I wade into it, um, but it's an upside down cow for a logo, uh, you know, like cow tipping. Um, and I would believe um, it's not the first time cow udders have been displayed prominently in a minor league logo. We of course have the udder tuggers alternate identity of the Wisconsin timber rattlers. So good to see uh, more cow udders on the scene, this upside down cow, um, you know, good story behind it. We embrace the upside down cow is the connection for our players to tap into the mindset and ideologies of the Charos using baseball as the vessel. And uh, the Charos, I believe, are the players of the official sport known as La Charia. But what sport is that? I need to learn more about all, <laughs> all this. Um, but there is a story behind it and just to see this upside down cow and uh, I cannot speak Spanish as we've established many times. <laughs> Tumba Vacas, Tumba Vacas. I just like, Tumba like how that Vacas. looks and sounds. Yeah. It is a very the, good one. Does the Tumba Vacas logo look a little bit like the Godfather logo to anybody else? That's not I Spanish. Be, I know that I'm, I'm dipping into it. You mean the, you mean the word mark? 
The word mark. Excuse yeah. Me. Yes. It does. It does. It has. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I not the, see not the upside down cow. I just want to clarify for people because right. it was a no, horse the actual head, word not mark. A, not a cow. <laughs> right. Yeah, I could see that, though. Anyway, that's, that's just what stood out to me. Anyway. Besides the fact that here's an upside down cow. As I was looking at. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go, it, it feels weird to say this is traditional because all of this is technically, um, you know, alternate identities, but this one's been around for a little while, but I still love the look of it. And I think it sometimes gets overlooked in these discussions is the Cielo Azul, uh, yeah. from Oklahoma city. Very it's just one. such a, a very classic look. And I love, this could be spin, you know, it could be something they kind of backed into, but I do think it really works well on multiple levels. Cielo Azul translates to blue skies, um, which if you've ever been to Oklahoma, big wide open spaces, lots of uh, you know high blue sky there. Um, so it fits for that. But the way they say it is, you know, Oklahoma City is obviously a Dodgers affiliate. Fernando Valenzuela, one of the most important Hispanic players in baseball history, um, in his windup always kind of looked straight up at the sky. And it, so this is kind of an homage to that. It's obviously very heavy on the blue. It's got this great sky blue to it. It's got a kind of tinge of orange that works really well. Um, I, I just think the whole identity fits that area, um, but also tips a nod to both the parent club, the local uh, touches as well. I think it just fits exactly everything that a Copa identity should be. So Cielo Azul, um, been around for a little while, but want to make sure we kind of shout it out here. I do want to give a shout out to uh, one of the OG Copa logos. It's not the one that I'm going to pick, but I feel like I could very easily pick it. Uh, the Reyes de la Plata, uh, the Las Vegas Aviators, um, holdover Copa identity. Las Vegas was one of the, I believe, six original teams that launched this uh, during the inaugural season of Copa when it was really just a pilot program, kind of a, a trial launch in 2017. Uh, but it's the Silver Kings. Um, and that was back when Las Vegas was the 51 before they were even the aviators, if I remember correctly. Um, and of course, the, the mining history of Nevada is kind of what gave um, the, the inspiration for that. But it's, you know, a uh, it's a skeleton um, with a pickaxe over his shoulder and kind of a torn hat. Uh, an, an old West looking guy who is uh, in search of the silver he never found. We can assume, um, but that's a good one as far as the the class gold ones go. I think I've singled this one out before, but maybe not as much as um, it deserves. The uh, Gallos de Delmarva, I think, is just a gorgeous logo. It's a rooster um, carrying a bat over his shoulder, strutting confidently. But I like the description that Delmarva has for this logo, uh, which is the rooster, a majestic animal in which the crowing at dawn of each morning symbolizes the daily triumph of light over darkness and the victory of good over evil. Like, man, that is heavy and i like it uh the rooster symbolizes strength and determination uh the vibrant colors of the rooster are diverse much like the delmarva peninsula and then this is the local tie-in without the rooster the dynamic poultry industry on delmarva is not able to thrive i did not know that delmarva uh that area had a dynamic poultry industry but i think the logo is great it's a, a rounder logo you know it's a circular logo which is so in vogue uh nowadays in in minor league baseball and really in an all logo design, uh, but it just looks, and I know we've talked about this before because I've, I've said, it looks like if you were to take that logo and apply it to, you know, a 1946 Mexican league team or a team from the Cuban national series or a team from Venezuela or whatever, it would look like it fit right in. Uh, and I love that. I think it's very much a, 
um, a Copa um, classic uh, sort of design. And, uh, and I dig it. I love that one. Um, so you can head to MILB.com slash fans slash Copa and learn all about the Copa de la Diversión for 2022 and beyond the Fun Cup, uh, which is, of course, part of the It's Fun to Be a Fan initiative uh, coming up after the season. Uh, the award will be handed out the winner of the Fun Cup, which is uh, based on a whole different series of criteria from community outreach to in-game entertainment uh, and all of that stuff. We have three winners now through the uh, the first handful of seasons of Copa. Uh, the Albuquerque Isotopes, the Mariachis captured the first couple of titles. Of course, we missed out on the 2020 season, but in 2021, the of uh, Worcester uh, got last year's Copa Championship. So congratulations to the Wepas. And for 2022, a whole bunch more teams now jump into the fray this year. Uh, which is pretty exciting stuff. And uh, that'll actually kick off April 9th, this, the day after opening day uh, for AA down through uh, Class A. April 9th is the very first Copa game of the season uh, with Hillsboro, the Sonia Doris, which across the three of us is one of our favorite identities. Uh, the Sonia Doris will be playing host to Tri-City. I'm not sure if Tri-City as the road team will be dressed up as the Vineros that night. Uh, I would kind of doubt it, but um, that'll be the first Copa game of the season of, I think, over 650 games that'll be played as Copa identities across the minor leagues this year. Um, so you can learn more at MILB.com and scoop some Copa merchandise because there is some outstanding stuff that is out there. I got to figure out what I'm going to buy because I know I'm going to spend some money on a Copa hat sometime soon. I, I was thinking that no too. Surprise. I was just like, I don't have a, a hat wall, but I might have to build one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was just like, I could buy that one. I could buy a Cielo Azul hat. Yep. I could, you know, I already have a Brooklyn Hefe's hat. They're all uh, that needs to be displayed somewhere. So yeah, they're all great. I'm slowly um, morphing into you, Tyler. <laughs> For better or for very much worse. I just try to infect everyone with a hat addiction that I uh, that I carry on this uh, lonely road of life. And with that, we are going to pivot to our final season-long promo preview for 2022 as we have arrived at single A, the, uh, the level formerly known as Class A, full season a couple years ago, low A last year, now single A in 2022 and going forward. Uh, we've gone through triple A, double A, and high A and uh, highlighted some of the top promos to come this year. Uh, ben Hill, give us uh, the the rundown of the best of the best in single A. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to report that I've now gone through every team's promo schedule. I mean, there's still a few holdout teams that don't have promo schedules, but a uh, very tedious task. But uh, I have a spreadsheet now with over a 1,000 entries of promos just to be aware of in some way, shape, or form. Of course, I don't cover all of them, but helps have a great overview of the entire landscape and uh, – yeah, we've talked about all the other levels except for single A, which is the Florida, California, and Carolina leagues. And uh, a few highlights I've seen from there so far. I mean, Charleston River Dogs are now in the Carolina League. Um, if you remember last year, they had a toilet paper promotion, uh, kind of riffing on you know the, to the great toilet paper shortage, quote unquote, uh, in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, they're coming back with TP Night 2. So uh, last year they said, you know, we, we had such a good time celebrating toilet paper. We're going to do it again. And I know one aspect of that I think is, you know, TP in the ballpark or maybe some, you know, toilet paper roll throwing and streamers and uh, should be a good ballpark visual there. The River Dogs also have on August 13th, you know, everyone's been talking about the slap lately. The River Dogs are going back to a 
at this point, decades ago, kind of cultural moment that had everyone talking uh, of an entirely different sort. They're doing bite night with a stress ear giveaway, a stress ball shaped like an ear. And that is a reference to Mike Tyson. Wow. <laughs> Biting off Evander Holyfield. Holyfield's ear during a boxing match. That is a throwback. And I'm gonna have to look this up, but I know the Fort Myers Miracle, who, yeah, who at one point uh, Fort Myers used to be a Gold Clan group team, which is the same ownership group as the uh, the River Dogs. I know Fort Myers years ago did a bobble ear giveaway or something like that, riffing on that moment. So I did not expect in 2022. For a minor league team to say, like, you know what, we're going to come at you with some uh, Tyson Holyfield content. But uh, I believe that was 97, right? So is this a 25th anniversary celebration? I can't say celebration. Is it, is Evander Holyfield celebrating losing part of his year? Was that 25 yeah. years ago? <laughs> yeah, so why not? We're celebrating an anniversary of a very memorable moment in, uh, in pop culture. Pretty disturbing one as well. Um, you know, Tyler, you mentioned Delmarva earlier. Um, that is a big chicken uh, area. Um, you know, the na- name of the stadium is Purdue Stadium, and uh, it was the son of, uh, you know, Purdue Farms or Purdue Chicken founder, Frank Purdue. His son uh, was instrumental in bringing that team to the area. And in addition to Purdue, uh, there's a lot of other uh, chicken around there. But another food um, that is really popular in that region is Scrapple. And I'm glad to see. Uh, Delmarva Shorebirds once again doing their Scrapple Night identity. You know, me growing up in the Philadelphia area, it's also popular there. And Scrapple is, yeah, kind of scraps, you know, <laughs> scraps of, uh, you know, animal product. Uh, waste not, want not. Want not. And, uh, you know, it's fried up into a, uh, I think, a really tasty sandwich. I mean, it gets a bad rap from certain people, but celebrating Scrapple at the ballpark in Delmarva um, August 12th. Uh, Fort Myers, uh, mighty muscles, uh, are doing big cat rescue night with jerseys and they're going to have Carol Baskin at the ballpark. You know, I totally missed the whole tiger King phenomenon. It seems so long ago now, yeah. um, but, uh, it's wow. getting play off that. And, uh, bring she in, bring in. is going to be in attendance. She is the special guest, Carol Baskin wow. at the ballpark. Wow. I believe that's early in the season. I'll have to check my spreadsheet. And we did not have a season in 2020 when the Tiger King thing was a thing. Um, so this is, yeah, wow, two years later. I know there's like a new season of Tiger King. There's also like a dramatization starring Kate McKinnon that you cannot pay me enough money to watch um, that I think is on Hulu. So, man, they are still just, uh, they're wringing the, the last water out of that sponge, huh? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so, hey, go meet Carol Baskin. And uh, they're wearing, uh, you know, big cat jerseys. Um, Canapolis Cannonballers, uh, they're doing a series of bowl weevil throwback nights because before the Cannonballers, before the Canapolis Cannonballers or the Cannonballers, they were the Intimidators. But before the Intimidators, they were the Piedmont Bowl Weevils. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, in recent years, I mean, really over the last decade plus, of wacky minor league team names, but that's one from, you know, decades ago that you look at it now, you're like, wow, that's a pretty strange name for a team, the Piedmont Bowl Weevils. And so it'd be cool to see the Cannonballers taking the field in Bowl Weevils uniforms. Also, when I visited uh, Canapolis last year, you know, it was a new ballpark. Um, they had One of the coolest things, probably the coolest aspect of the game day experience is they have a concourse organist 
a guy named Greasy Keys, two Zs instead of S's, Greasy Keys. And on August 25th, the Cannonballers are giving away a Greasy Keys bobblehead. And, uh, you know, for someone like me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, you know, love to hear live organ music at the ballpark. It's really cool the way they do it in Kannapolis, where he's right there on the concourse. You can walk by, you know, uh, give him a tip, uh, make requests, uh, whatever. So really cool that he's getting his own bobblehead. Uh, San Jose Giants moving on to the California League. Um, they're doing a beer batter weekend with beer batter jerseys, you know, kind of riffing on um, the popularity of the beer batter promo in which a designated hitter from the opposing team is a beer batter. And if he strikes out, you know, you get free or, or discounted beer. Um, so they're riffing on the, that that whole uh, phenomenon. Do we uh, know where the beer batter promo started? Do we have any idea, like, who was first with a beer batter? That's one of those ideas that's become so legendary across baseball. Uh, do we have any idea who started? It's like Thirsty Thursday. I would imagine there are, like, many different places that claim it. Well... Uh, beer batter. That's a good question. Like I have no idea the, the origination of that. Um, Asheville though is, is, uh, the originator of thirsty Thursday. They right. own the trademark. I know they the own term. the trademark. On and it, so yeah. other affiliated teams use it, but you can't just use thirsty Thursday. Um, you know, other, you know, sports without getting like permission, uh, from the Asheville tourists, uh, they, they did it first and, uh, they, they trademarked it decades ago. Uh, but beer batter, that's a good question. That'd be a fun story. Like, when when did this originate? And uh, also in the California League, a, a recurring promotion, the Visalia Rawhide are having Knockerball Fridays. I, I feel like Knockerball has been a little less popular in, in recent years. I mean, I feel like maybe five years ago it was really popular. Knockerball, if you're not familiar, is when you're in a uh, huge inflatable ball. And, uh, well, two people are in a huge inflatable balls. And they just run towards each other in these inflatable balls and just smash into each other. So to make Knockerball Friday a thing, which I imagine a lot of the between any entertainment will revolve around Knockerball battle battles. That just seems like a lot of fun to me. And the crowd always loves Knockerball because you just see these people, I mean, usually guys, but it could be anybody just slamming into each other. And usually you have to go with, you know, staff members, um, you know, people like that to do it because, I wouldn't say knocker ball is dangerous, but uh, I'm not sure if, how often you know, you just get fans from the stands in there. We'll see. I don't know what the policy is in Visalia, but knocker ball Friday. Looking forward to seeing what they do with that. So that's just a few single A promos and um, working on a story now for sometime uh, next week as part of opening day coverage on uh, you know promos to look forward to in 2022 across the board. Just some of my favorites as we uh, look to the start of the season. That's some good stuff. Carol Baskin. Wow. And I guess we know the other guy isn't going to show up at a minor league ballpark because I think he's in prison for like 20 years. But uh, wow. Um, that is some good stuff, though. And you can check out Ben's story, of course, at MILB.com. And uh, with that, we're going to head to our interview segment uh, for this week. I was moving yesterday, so I was not part of the interview. So I'm going to let you guys tee it up and let us know what we're in for. Well, we're talking about uh, something that's starting, uh, well, today, as we record this on a Friday morning, but um, today, tomorrow, and Sunday in San Antonio, home of the San Antonio Missions, uh, Nelson Wolf Ballpark will be hosting La Rivalidad. La Rivalidad. I, I mess it up in the interview itself. I mess it up now. My Spanish needs a lot of work, but it is a Mexican League rivalry series. Uh, 
being held in San Antonio. So a chance to see uh, Mexican League baseball with a lot of big names. One of the teams is managed by Julio Franco, uh, and it's all taking place in the minor league ballpark. So we talked to missions president Burl Yarbrough about the rivalry dad. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Here on the Show Before the Show podcast, I, Benjamin Hill, and Sam Dykster are joined by a very special guest, San Antonio Missions Team President, Burl Yarbrough. And opening day is coming for the San Antonio Missions and uh, every team in minor league baseball, as we all know. But the San Antonio Missions, before the Missions season gets started, they have a special event coming up that we wanted to talk about a little bit. A uh, unique event in minor league baseball, La Rival Dad, or La La, rival, la rivalry dad. This is a, a sign of things to come with my Spanish, <laughs> but um, it's taking place at Nelson Wolf Stadium in San Antonio, April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, between two Mexican Baseball League teams, Ceraperos de Saltillo and Monclavo Aceleros. So an exciting event, lots of big names on the rosters, um, including Pablo Sandoval, Addison Russell, Josh Reddick, Chris Carter, uh, Julio Franco will be there in a managerial role. So a really cool baseball event coming on in San Antonio. So let's get to our guest. Burl, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. And um, if you could just tell us about this event in a little more detail. I mean, first of all, how this came about, because it is pretty unique in the world of minor league baseball to be hosting games like this. Yeah, you know, we're really excited. Uh, you know, obviously San Antonio and South Texas, uh, uh, you know, a lot of Hispanic, uh, culture in our, in our area. And, uh, you know, we are closer to Saltillo and Monclova. We're closer to them than we are to most of the teams in the Texas league. So it's, it's kind of interesting from, from, from that standpoint, both those cities are, you know, right around 300 miles from us. And, uh, you know, other than Corpus, uh, you know, being a little closer, uh, uh, everybody else in our leagues further away than, than, uh, those two cities in Mexico. But, uh, you know, this is something that uh, we're excited about, uh, uh, Monclova and Saltillo, uh, uh are, are rivals, uh, in the Mexican league. And, uh, you know, very interesting, uh, part of it is, is the fact. Sorry about that. Uh, adds authenticity to the podcast. Yes. Yes. Uh, but, uh, no, another interest, interesting aspect is, is both of these clubs owners have homes in San Antonio, uh, as well as businesses here. So, I mean, they, you know, they're, they're based out of Mexico, but they also have a presence here in San Antonio, uh, through other businesses and, uh, everything. So the GM of the uh, Monclova team uh, used to work for us here with the San Antonio mission. So he's someone we have known for a long time. And, and so we've had talks with him over the years about uh, 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 doing some, some exhibition games. And uh, you know, this is kind of the result of that. 
Yeah. And it's a, in a lot of ways it's um, well, it's, it's baseball, but you know, it's different than a typical minor league baseball game. Uh, how do you plan and prepare for it? Is the, um, you know, fan base different than for a missions game, you know, what kind of atmosphere are you expecting in the ballpark? Yeah, we're hoping this will be, you know, more like a Mexican league regular season game than a, than a missions game and everything. And, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, what, what San Antonio, you know, we are 63% Hispanic and have about a million Hispanics in San Antonio. And, you know, a lot of those have family from these two cities, Monclova, Saltillo, a lot of them, you know, have, you know, might've have lived there at one time or still have family that lived there. So, you know, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of people come out and support these two cities and, uh, you know, again, like I said, they're not that far from San Antonio. I think some of their fans are going to travel up to San Antonio for the weekend. Yeah, I was going to say, we're talking to you here on Thursday. The, the series is starting tomorrow on Friday. What has been the reaction so far since you guys made the announcement? It, it's It's been great. Uh, you know, we've had to... Uh, uh, you know, we do have some Spanish speaking front office staff, but, uh, you know, we've kind of had to boost that uh, this week, uh, getting a lot of a lot of phone calls, uh, you know, from Spanish speaking uh, uh, fans that are interested in coming out. Uh, we've had a, a really good pre-sale on hospitality and, and, and things, you know, like that, that uh, companies uh, are excited about seeing this brand of baseball. And in terms of it being two different teams and, you know, like you were saying, there might be visitors from Mexico, from these two towns or two cities coming to see you guys. How are you guys going to treat the game itself differently? Is there going to be different events happening around the ballpark, some different between inning stuff? Like how is it going to, because it, it's probably going to be a slightly different audience for you guys. Yeah, we, we definitely are expecting uh, a, a different audience and than what we have for uh, a regular missions games. And, you know, we are going to allow both teams to sell their merchandise in the stadium. Uh, uh, again, they have fans that uh, live here in San Antonio from those two areas. And, uh, uh, you know, so we, we want to, you know, make it as authentic for them as, as we can. And, uh, uh, we, you know, have brought in a, a Spanish speaking uh, PA guy for the weekend and, and, uh, you know, we are going to try to make it, you know, like, uh, a regular season Mexican league game. And then in short order, after this regular season Mexican league game, or trying to create that atmosphere, um, then in short order comes opening day, San Antonio missions, double uh, a Texas league baseball. We're all happy that uh, the league names are back in uh, the Texas league. Um, you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you're expecting this year in San Antonio, uh, you know, any changes fans can expect and, uh, you know, what you're most excited for. Yeah. You know, for us, uh, this is our 29th year opening up Wolf stadium, uh, uh, which, you know, we've been in, uh, this is my 35th opening day here in San Antonio, but yeah, we're very excited. You know, we have, we are putting a new scoreboard in this year and, uh, uh, you know, I'm looking out my window and it's almost, you know, completed, which is good since we have a game tomorrow, but, uh, uh, you know, new scoreboard for the first time since 2007. Uh, we've also put a LED board down the left field line and, and, uh, you know, done some other things uh, in the ballpark that, uh, you know, I think fans are going to be very excited about uh, once they come out uh, to a game this year. And Merle, just talking from your experience, uh, you know, going back for how long you've been with the team now, 
Um, San Antonio's had one of the most interesting rides of the last few years, I would say, uh, between you guys bouncing between affiliates and bouncing between leagues, levels, all that kind of stuff. Um, just how has minor league baseball itself changed from when you first started this job uh, in the late 80s? Yeah, you can imagine being here as long as I have, you know, and, uh, you know, I've got a staff, uh, a good number of them have been with me for a long time. And, you know, we had pretty good routine going uh, for many, many years. And then all of a sudden, 2019, things changed. Uh, you know, we went to Colorado Springs, uh, Sky Sox moved here. And and so we joined the Pacific Coast League. And, uh, uh, you know, it was it was great uh, to do that for one year. And, uh, you know, there was a learning curve with us. Uh, you know, our travel changed. Uh, instead of putting everybody on a bus, uh, you know, we were flying all over the country and, uh, you know, trying to get equipment there in time and things like that. Uh, so, you know, we had one year with the Brewers. Uh, you know, we had 12 years uh, with the Padres and then in 19 went to the Brewers and uh, it was a good year, enjoyed it. Uh, unfortunately, 20, we set out and uh, then with all the realignment, you know, we're back in the Texas League. And so, yeah, you know, I, I laugh and, and tell people, you know, my life was so nice and easy and, and predictable. Uh, and then it, it, it changed in 19 and really hasn't stopped since uh, between AAA, COVID and and uh, but, you know, we're looking forward to getting back to normal. You know, we back in the Texas League uh, uh, and back with the Padres, you know, uh, very familiar with them and, and have always had a great relationship with them. So, you know, for us, hey, we've been in the Texas League. We were a charter member, you know, starting in 1888. And, uh, you know, that's that's home for us. And so we're very comfortable there. Yeah. And it's just nice to hear Texas League. I'm sure we're, we're going to keep saying that for a long time. Uh, we've been I, I, for a few weeks now. You know, I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, those of us in this league that, you know, got a lot of time, uh, uh, that was one of the greatest things that's happened over the last uh, couple of years for us was to get, get the Texas League name back. Yeah. And when you guys are communicating all this to fans, like, you, you know, you got ballpark improvements coming up, you've had affiliation changes, you've had league level changes, whatever. How... How have the fans kind of ridden those waves with you guys? Like how many explainers do you have to put out in the public about all these changes? And, you know, thankfully for the next few years, that's not going to change anymore. Um, but yeah, how have the, the fans kind of ridden this wave with you guys? Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of information we've had to, to get out there. And, uh, you know, again, for so many years uh, being, you know, same affiliation, same level and everything. And then to go back and forth, go through COVID with no season go last year with a reduced, uh, 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 you know, schedule and everything. So, uh, you know, there's just been a lot of communication and, and, you know, trying to keep people up to speed on what's going on. But, uh, you know, our fans have uh, been very resilient. Uh, I think they enjoy AAA and, you know, if that opportunity was there, they would love to see it. Uh, uh, but again, uh, Texas league and, and the cities that, that, are in the league or, or great cities. And we've had great rivalries with many of them over the years. And uh, uh, so it, it, it really has been an easy transition back and forth. Yeah. Everything old is new again uh, for all the changes that have taken place. Uh, you know, franchises moving around and uh, league changes, uh, classification changes. Here you are San Antonio missions, double a Texas league. It does feel good to say. And another longtime uh, constant uh, in the world of San Antonio Missions baseball. And, you know, I want to close with this because I think it's one of the more nationally known things about your franchise. 
uh, Puffy Tacos, Henry the Puffy Taco, uh, famous mascot. Uh, for those who aren't aware, can you just explain uh, the San Antonio's uh, Puffy Taco phenomenon? Well, I, I tell you, if, you know, for anybody listening, if you hadn't had a Puffy Taco, man, you haven't had a taco yet. And, uh, you know, they were created here in San Antonio and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's basically a, a regular taco, but it's, you know, it's fried and, uh, very crunchy and, and everything. And so, you know, there's a, a restaurant here in town that, uh, we started working with, uh, you know, over 30 years ago and, uh, you know, basically they invented the puffy taco. So, uh, uh, you know, and created a, a puffy taco mascot. And, uh, for over 30 years now, kids, uh, chase the taco and, and tackle him, you know, one of our, uh, uh, in-game promotions. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, been around long enough where we've had, you know, several generations of, of, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of people have tackled the taco now that their kids have tackled the taco. And so, uh, uh, you know, we, we talked about some of the changes we have been through over the years and, and, you know, our players come and go and, 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 and I tell people, you know, I, I don't know who my shortstop is, but you know, the puffy taco has been part of our franchise and, you know, for many, many years. And, uh, that's what I think people remember. Absolutely. Continuity, continuity through puffy tacos. It's, uh, one of the great things about minor league baseball, but to return to the original topic, uh, Mexican league baseball at Nelson Wolf stadium, uh, this weekend, April 1st, 2nd and 3rd, a really cool event. And we'll be looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing how that goes, checking out the sights and sounds from those games. And I think a lot of listeners, um, you know, would love that sort of opportunity to see Mexican league baseball at a minor league stadium. Hopefully people in the area can get out to it. And, uh, if not, maybe uh, put it on your road trip calendar for uh, for another year, and hopefully this is something that continues for years to come. But um, Burl Yarbrough, thank you so much for coming on the Show Before the Show podcast and uh, filling us in on everything going on, and uh, best of luck with La Rival. I messed it up again. I was trying to do it well this time. How, how do you say it? La Rivalidad. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to let you do it, man. You're doing a great job. All right, La Rivalidad. Sam, there you, go. you got anything better than that? I guess no. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> I apologize for uh, my Spanish. But anyway, thanks again, Burl, for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for having us. Take care. All right, we're going to talk some on-field stuff as we get set for AAA opening day coming up here in just four days, and we are going to dive right in with some early prospect assignments. Guys, we already know where they are headed. Uh, Sam, this is one of the most, uh, I would say, strenuous times of year for us because we're constantly trying to figure out where guys are going, reading some tea leaves and doing all that stuff, but we do already know uh, where some guys are going. You mentioned Brennan Davis earlier, who was headed to AAA Iowa to start the season. Uh, Jack Leiter, we know where he is, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, give us uh, some of the rundowns of where guys are going to kick off this 2022 campaign. Yeah, I guess I'll touch on three here real quick, but Jack Leiter is, is definitely where I want to start, the number 17 overall prospect. A first-round pick last year of the Texas Rangers. Uh, did not pitch at all in minor league baseball last year, understandably, after a long spring at Vanderbilt in which they rode him pretty hard. Um, but Jack Leiter will be starting out the year at A Frisco, which is great to hear because he is so advanced coming out of Vandy, 21-year-old right-hander, um, you know, plus plus fastball plus curveball really good change up 
really good slider. All the pieces are there. And everything we've heard about him this spring is that he is as advanced as everybody thought he was. Um, but your typical road with a college pitcher, at least a first rounder, or early round pick, is to put them in high A, um, kind of allow them to get some success and then move them up to double A maybe mid-season. Lighter, the Rangers know what they have in him. It wouldn't surprise me if they brought him up at the end of the year. Maybe we'll see how innings limits are going to go and all that. But it feels like his stuff could absolutely play in the majors right now. So why not challenge him at double A? Why not get him to a point where it, it would be a waste of his time to start him out at high A and have him shove for five starts? And we're talking about having a 0.3 ERA with you know 30 strikeouts and walks through 25 innings, something like that it would just kind of be a waste of his abilities and his time. So get him in a place where he could be challenged. Yes, there is a possibility that Jack Leiter has a ERA in the fours after his first month in double A. That's not the point. It's the point is for him to get somewhere where he's going to get better, where he's going to see some hitters that are going to be more advanced than any he's ever seen um, and grows from that experience and tries to turn into a major leader. So I love that aggressive assignment from the Texas Rangers. That's been officially announced. That's on the books. Kudos to the Rangers for actually announcing their, their break camp rosters already. Um, another one that I got told personally, it, it hasn't been officially put out there yet, but the D-backs have locked in their break camp rosters. And that's Corbin Carroll is going to double A as well. Um, Corbin Carroll was their first round pick in 2019. Uh, obviously had to sit out all of 2020 with everybody else. So he had his first full season wiped away. Started out last year at high A Hillsborough, got off to an exceptional start, played seven games in Hillsborough, and then suffered a shoulder injury in his right shoulder on a swing. The way he described it to me was, I was swinging and it felt like my swing kept going because his arm separated. Doesn't sound fun. He thought it was going to be okay. Uh, got down to Arizona, found out it needed season-ending surgery. So his season stopped right after seven games. He got off to a really fast start. I think he was hitting 435, five extra base hits, three stolen bases in those seven games. Um, so he, he was ticking all the boxes. But the fact that he didn't play the rest of the way, he did a lot of rehab to get himself back to a place where he is healthy this spring, you could understand, like, the D-back saying, okay, we're going to send you back to high A. We just want you to get a little bit more time there. But no, they said, listen, you were destroying that level. Every indicator we had on you was that you were too good for there. You weren't being challenged. Even with the last year, we're pushing you to double A now. Really like the sound of that. He seems excited about it. Um, he's going to Amarillo, which if you know anything about Amarillo, it's a very hitter-friendly environment. Uh, another D-backs prospect, Alec Thomas, took advantage of that last year. Um, so he could put up some big numbers. That's not necessarily a sign of, oh, he's all the way back yet, or he's even better than we thought. You have to kind of take that into consideration, but given his abilities as a speed guy, as a good hitting guy um, with some budding power, like there are going to be lots of other indications that Corbin Carroll is fully back. So I'm excited to see him at double A. And one more I'll touch on real quick is our top uh, pitching prospect for MLB pipeline. Grayson Rodriguez is heading to triple A Norfolk. No surprise there. The guy was really, really good last year at double A, where he spent much of the 2021 season, made 18 starts there, had a 2-6 ERA, 121 strikeouts in 79 and two-thirds innings. He should be going to triple A, so that's not the big surprise. Um, but if you're looking for somebody to maybe watch next week uh, as MILB TV starts and triple A season starts on Tuesday, try to find the first Grayson Rodriguez start uh, because it's going to be spectacular stuff. I know he's been humbled a a little bit at times this year on the major league side, 
Uh, but the package of pitches right, right now is maybe the best in minor league baseball. Um, there's every possibility that even though he hasn't seen AAA yet, he goes there and puts up a solid five, six innings in his debut. Um, it's, it's always stuff that could touch tri- triple digits. It's a changeup that we graded out as a 70 grade on the 20 to 80 scale. It's a plus slider. Um, a lot of reasons for Orioles fans to be excited with the Grayson Rodriguez. And he's essentially going to be their top prospect actually playing. Uh, Adley Rutschman, as of now, as of everything we've heard, is still nursing a triceps injury. Um, he's kind of coming back from that. The Orioles did not announce him to be on the AAA Norfolk roster. Uh, I think they wanted him to crack the major league roster, but this injury is going to kind of put that on the back burner. The fact that he's not on the initial AAA roster, does that mean he's going to be in the majors and be put on the IL? Or does that mean he's going to be maybe on the AAA IL and basically do a de facto rehab assignment? We're going to have to find out about that. But the timeline initially had him getting back to, to playing every day right around the time of major league and triple a opening day. So going to keep a close eye on that one, but for right now, we know definitely Grayson Rodriguez will be at Norfolk. So you want to catch that start either, you know, in the stadium or uh, on mill TV, if you have a chance. And uh, from gray rod, we go to, J Rod, we really got to think of a better nickname. Julio Rodriguez. I know, <laughs> I know, he's on Twitter at J Rod Show. We got he's like the most dynamic, exciting young town in baseball. We got to figure out. We got to move past the formulaic. This is my campaign stump speech. We have to move past the first initial, first syllable of last name nickname template. It's played. It's done. It's over. We got to think of something better. I mean, as somebody who I definitely do not want to pronounce my. Uh... First letter, first syllable of my last name. Yeah, I, I would be on board with that. My last name is only one syllable. That's not fun. Team on. Team, that's not cool. Team on. <laughs> that sounds like a slogan that you would put, uh, like team on. Ah, I see where you're going with that. Uh, we got to come up with something better for Julio. Yeah. But Julio Rodriguez is uh, a, a guy we're obviously very closely going to be watching where he lands. It is going to be AAA Tacoma. 99 out of 100 simulations, but he has been crushing things in Major League Spring Training. He had an inside-the-park home run yesterday. Um, the the latest on Julio, Sam, uh, is what, from your estimation? He has been certainly making a case that he is going to be Major League ready much sooner than later. So I'm actually going to push back on that statement ah! you just made it about it being 99 out of 100 simulations. If we were talking about this two weeks ago, I'll I'll go a little bit further back. Three weeks ago, I would probably agree with you. Like when we were trying to plan out who's going to be where at the beginning of the season, it definitely seemed like Julio Rodriguez, who has not played a triple A, we should say that. Right. um, And had kind of a disjointed year because he was playing in the Olympics last year. But, you know, it started out at high A, sometime at double A. It seemed like he was going to triple A. I would have agreed with you three weeks ago, 99 out of 100 times. That one time has basically been this spring. He's been insanely good. I got to catch up with him this week in Seattle camp. Always love talking to that guy. Um, But the thing that dominated our conversation was his speed. You know, when we were doing our MLB pipeline rankings, we were thinking, okay, Bobby Wood Jr., number one, um, because he's a legit five-tool star. Adley Rutschman, because he's a great defensive catcher and a really good offensive catcher, number two. Julio might be the best bat out of all of them. It's just we thought he was going to profile right field because he is a good runner, but not necessarily a great runner. He would have more value in center than he would in right. That was one of the pieces we were considering with him. And unlike those other guys, he doesn't have AAA experience. He's gotten really fast this spring. 
that was a huge thing for him in the offseason was focusing in on speed. And I think he kind of took some of these scouting reports that people like us write that say, like, you're above average run tool. And he takes that as a slight. He's like, no, I am not above average. I am plus, if not plus, plus, and I'm going to show you that. Um, he even said that. You mentioned his inside the park home run the other night. He said afterwards, well, now they know. Now they know how fast I am. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I would love to be able to say a lot of prospects can do that. Just focus on your speed and you will become, or you will go from being a, an above average runner to a plus runner. It's just that simple. It is not that simple. You can't just do that and maintain your status as a really, really promising hitter. If you're, you know, there are only so many hours a day. If you are focusing on speed, you're taking time away from your bat. Julio's bat was good enough to begin with um, that. I think that allowed him some extra time to focus on the speed. And now he's looking like, if I had to handicap it right now, as we're speaking here on April 1st, it's like 75, 25 that he's going to be the Mariners opening day center fielder. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's, there was a lot of buzz in Mariners camp that this is, this is happening right now. Um, he really feels like he's pushing the issue. I'm not one to doubt him. He, everything he's doing. I think that inside the park home run, many people were saying that kind of solidifies his fate. Like it's really tough to keep him down after that. Cause if you are questioning the speed, it was, right there on display. Um, I, I'm really excited to see what, what he can do in that role. We saw last year, Jared Kelnick came up for the Mariners, highly touted prospect, was ranked higher than Julio at the time. Um, didn't quite work out for him. He's coming into a sophomore year. He could grow into it. Um, still become a promising player in his own right. But yeah, the, the Julio show is coming to Seattle and I think it's coming as early as opening day. And that's not something I would have said at the beginning of spring, but he's just, checked off every single box he possibly could. Man, it is a fun time to be a Mariners fan. Uh, you get to open the season with Julio on the opening day roster. Uh, a very exciting team becomes even more so. And, hey, as we saw with Jared Kelnick last year, uh, you know, it does not mean that right out of the gate he is going to be a, an all-star caliber outfielder. Uh, but we believe that it will be there sooner rather than later. And uh, with somebody like Julio Rodriguez, it just seems like the learning curve for him is so short it seems like, first of all, every time he's been challenged when he's been promoted to a new level or started somewhere at a new level, he adjusts so quickly and he's so good so quickly um, that obviously the major league level is the biggest adjustment. But I feel like he may be adept enough. He's so cerebral. He's such a an understanding talent and what he needs to change and tweak and evaluate uh, and enhance in order to be successful. He may be somebody who learns enough on the fly that he just sticks on a major league roster from the get-go. Um, but man, that is, that is an exciting headline for M's fans as we get closer to opening day. Yeah, it's crazy. One thing I wanted to say, and I forgot to mention this, the fact that he's becoming this fast, he's listed at six foot three, 228 pounds. Yeah. He's a big dude. He's a this big is not, dude. This is not somebody who you would think would become like, oh, light on their feet. Like he, there's a lot of frame behind his power. That's why we think it's going to be plus plus power. And the fact that he's a plus runner now is just insane. It's do not doubt Julio Rodriguez uh, in any way. It, like you said, you, there might be some patience involved here. He just turned 21 in December, but anytime I feel like I've doubted him, he's, he's proved us wrong in some way. So I can't wait to see what he does on the biggest stage. I have never doubted him. So you're welcome, Mariners fans. Actually, I guess you're welcome to Sam because Sam's the one who's like, well, he's above average runner. And then Julio circles it, you know, like uh, Steve Buscemi and, uh, and Billy Madison, although probably not as creepy as that. 
Um, but you know, Sam is the one who is now challenging Julio to be a plus runner. I mean, it was the industry. You're welcome. It's not, it wasn't just me. <laughs> no, I'm just blaming you. I'm not blaming everyone else. You're the only one that I host a podcast with. I'm blaming you. Okay, fine. I, I will eat it. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Final point. Who else has stood out to you uh, among spring training stars? Yeah, just to kind of kind of stay in that Seattle Mariners system, um, catching a little bit of them on the backfields the other day. One I want to point out, go find it on my Twitter account. I tweeted a video of it. But Noelvi Marte hit maybe my favorite homer of the spring. I've, I've been to 10 different camps. I've seen some backfield action. <laughs> he just yanked the heck out of the ball and knew it the second he hit it. Uh, it was just a question of whether it was going to be fair or not. But Noel Di Marte, we're already very high on him um, entering his age 20 season because of the power potential. He was a big signing for the M's a couple of years ago. Uh, obviously on the international stage, had 17 homers last year, 24 stolen bases. Uh, I think the biggest question with him is, is he going to be a shortstop? He's listed at 6'1", 181. He looks bigger than that to me, uh, maybe by a few inches. So he, it, he feels like somebody who might end up at third base eventually. Uh, but even then, the bat's going to play. I mean, it, it, I love those moments where you go to a camp and you're like, okay, no, LV Marte's hitting right now. I want to make sure I catch him and, and see if he can do something here. And then he just, like I said, yanks the heck out of the ball uh, and watches it sail. Uh, it was maybe my favorite swing of the spring, regardless of result and the fact that it went over the fence was really neat to see. Um, again, Corbin Carroll, just nice to see him out there and participating. Um, he said one thing that was big for him is just the fact that he dives for balls now, uh, obviously involving the shoulder, putting your arms out extended is going to hurt if the shoulder's not right, but he's passed those tests. Uh, he even said in one spring game, he got on in first base and he hadn't really practiced diving back to the bag yet or hadn't done it in a game situation. And then there were about, he, this is what he said. I, I didn't see it myself, but he said there were about 10 pickoff attempts. Uh, and every time he had to dive back to the bag and every time the shoulder felt fine. So that, that's big to see him um, kind of accomplish that. Those are the two that really stand out here at the top of my head. Um, looking you know, back at, the, at this past week, I really enjoyed speaking to some of these other guys like Robert Hassel III of the San Diego. Diego Padres system. There was some rumors this week that the Padres might be looking at a trade with the Pirates for Brian Reynolds. And you know, I know Padres Twitter was kind of a light of like, does that mean we would trade Robert Hassel the third? I would encourage everybody to seek out that interview. Um, Hassel really knows who he is as an offensive player uh, at such a young age, just coming off his first full season last year. Really fun to hear him break down his approach and who he thinks he can be, um, especially on the power side. I know it's hit over power right now. He thinks the power is going to come, um, but would encourage people to check out that conversation. Uh, yeah. And just going back, uh, Walker may have been my favorite talk of the spring um, just because of how fun it was. And you can see how much joy he has in playing the game. And he was one of our breakout prospects of the year last year and the way he basically solidified his status as a top 50 overall prospect and the top prospect in that Cardinal system, which is not an easy thing to say in a system that also boasts Nolan Gorman and uh, Matthew Lee Retour, but it's real plus plus power potential from him. And you can see it. I think we talked about it previously on the show of you can just hear his batting practice and you know, he's going to be special, um, but seek out that interview as well. And you can hear him explain that and how he was able to really take off in his first full season. But all that say, we're getting the real article next week. It, all this stuff happens on the backfields. It's awesome to see. It's great to see these guys get going. And everybody I talk to says they're waiting 
for opening day to come. They're, they're itching to get out there uh, after a long spring or an, an abbreviated spring if they were on the 40-man roster after the lockout. But either way, everybody's ready uh, for next Tuesday and next Friday. And uh, can't wait to see these guys actually put these skills into practice wherever they're headed. We'll get more prospect assignments here in the days to come. We are uh, excited and ready to go Tuesday for AAA, Friday for everybody else. And uh, with that, we're going to step aside. And uh, Josh Jackson will swing by, and we'll be back to wrap up the show coming up next. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was once the talk of the town, the others were made up by a clown. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Victoria Roundheads. B. The Muhlenberg Mossbacks. C. The Columbia Commies. I don't want to name names, but C. The Columbia Commies came close to claiming the crown in the 1911 South Atlantic League. These commies, though, weren't named for a political system whose proponents ostensibly spread resources communally, but for one which openly favored consolidating resources into the hands of a few. Commissioner-based governments, very popular in municipalities of the South in the early 20th century, were a civil rights nightmare. That's right, the Columbia Commies had a moniker based not on an oppressive and domineering foreign-born political philosophy, but one created right here in the U.S. of A. On the ball field, though, there was no confusing that Columbia was out to take more than its fair share. After dropping an April scrimmage to Connie Mack's Philadelphia Athletics, the Commies, who'd played the 1910 season as the Gamecocks and finished in last place, did an about-face on history, going 38-28 in the first half before punching a ticket to the Sally League Finals with a 39-21 second half. Columbia counted on the likes of soon-to-be big leaguers Vern Duncan, Marty Krug, and Zinn Beck, along with former big leaguer Jack Coveney and a hometown hurler with a big league nickname, Wild Bill Clark. But it was an altogether different Clark, William Winfield Wynn Clark, who gave Columbia its best jolt, taking over for Dred Cavender as manager partway through the year. In covering the commies' Game 1 loss in the finals to Columbus, the Atlanta Georgian wrote of Wynn Clark, This man has done wonders in the last half of the pennant race and has displayed qualities of real leadership. But it wasn't enough to outfox those Columbus Foxes. Named for player-manager Jim, don't call him Jimmy Fox, Fox with one X. Maybe if he'd gotten another, or even had gone to triple X, Columbia wouldn't have dropped the championship series four games to two. When the Columbia Club came out for the 1912 season, it came out not as the Commies, but as the Commers, another name short for Commissioners, and one under which it would win four titles, two under the management of our old pal Zinn Beck. And the political names didn't go out with the Commers. The South Carolina capital city later had a miners team called the Senators, who in 1938 took on the name of their parent club. You guessed it, the Reds. 
And that's how the wall came tumbling down on the Columbia Commies. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these education-oriented clubs went to school in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Cambridge Cap and Gowns. B. The Ames Straight A's. C. The New Haven Profs. Want to know the answer? Come to Office Hours. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill went out for a long walk while pet-sitting, and his dogs are barking. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Josh Jackson for stopping by for Ghosts of the Miners. Uh, despite the fact that we are recording this on, on uh, April Fool's Day, uh, that was a real story. Everything in this podcast that you have heard today is real. And confirm. Yeah. And, we, yeah. We, we did not plan that. We didn't plan any April Fool's jokes, we thankfully. We are not those people. You can trust us, listeners, as I hope you would. 351 episodes in, but um, yeah, no, we would never know. do anything like that. Did Not this close to the that? season. If it was like February Fool's Day and we needed right. to come up with something in early February, but no. April Fool's Day, early April's no time to joke across my early baseball. No, that is true. It's too, it's far too serious. Um, I was very happy. The, the first thing that I saw on Instagram today was an April Fool's gag that I fell for last year. So it made me realize, like, oh, right, it's April Fool's Day. It's like a TV show that I love, and they posted last year. Oh, they're they're bringing it back. It's coming back for a new season. It hasn't been on the air since, like, 2017. Um, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I sent it to uh, your friend, my friend, our friend, Josh Jackson. And then I realized it was an April Fool's gag, and I was like, oh, okay. So I saw that today and realized that it was – I could not believe anything that anyone says today. Except for you two. I've believed everything you've said. I never lie. <laughs> I'm very grateful for you, Tyler. Oh, oh, wait, are you saying that because you sincerely mean it now in the, in the interest of uh, our full transparency, since we have acknowledged that we're not lying? You unbelievable. That I will silence. point you to my original statement at the beginning of the segment. That was not my internet cutting out. That was an actual dramatic pause. But no, I will I will point you to my original statement. All right, you guys, we're going to say goodbye for this week's episode. Uh, next week, we'll get you all set for uh, for opening day uh, and give you our mill TV picks and all of it. As noted, minor league opening day coming up on Tuesday for AAA. Sam gave you the, uh, the start time, a 1 p.m. start time for the first minor league game of the season with Iowa visiting Buffalo under – as we anticipate partly cloudy skies and temperatures in the mid fifties. So a uh, pretty good start to the 2022 season uh, for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra and Josh Jackson and everybody else. My name is Tyler Mon. Happy AAA opening day. We'll talk to you next week.